All right, so we're going to be looking at several different verses today, kind of as a refresher. We want to remind you of the little little icons, I guess, on the, for lack of a better word, on the, on the behind me. That the very first week that we started this series entitled "More of You," we talked about this balancing act that that Christ must become weightier in our lives in order for us to become least so that we can do ministry in a way that honors him and glorifies him and is truly effective in the world. And that was based on John 3.30. In the second week, we, we talked about seeking more power from God. And that came from 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 4. And uh, it was illustrated with the power cords back there, because until you plug into it, you can't have access to it. In week three, we talked about having more spirit, and we talked about from Acts chapter one, one through nine, this, this crazy baptism of the Holy Spirit that enables us to have the access to the gifts of God that, that empower the ministry that we do. As stuff that we can never accomplish by our own strength. And in week four, last week, we talked about having more faith. More faith based on Second Thessalonians 1, 3 through 4. I hope that these have all been meaningful to you. These, of course, are my personal endeavors. These are the things that God is rekindling in me to, to increase a, a passion in me to want more of God. Not for personal gain, but so that I can be prepared to assist you, that I can be prepared, prepared to serve you in a more vibrant capacity. Which, of course, brings me joy, so there is a selfish uh, content to it. I want more joy in my life, and what brings me joy is seeing you come to faith in Christ. Baptizing people in water brings me joy. Seeing the light go on in your head and the clicking in your hearts, that brings me joy, and I, I want to see more of that. And so today, we're going to go a little bit different direction, but still all connected tissue. We're going to be talking about more knowledge, more knowledge. And so I have several verses I want to share with you on this. And and I'm debating, you'll have to forgive me, the Lord's talking right now, so I have to wait until he gives me clarity what he wants me to say. Um, In Jeremiah 9, verses 23 through 24, The prophet wrote, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast about this one thing, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. So let us boast about this one thing, that we understand how the Lord works. We know him, and we take refuge in him. That is what we should boast about. One thing we need to understand is this word knowledge is very unique. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it is, a, it is a defined by the one word, yada. A Y-A uh, accent, I forget what they call it in Aleph or something, and then uh, D-A, so yada. It it means a a word that has been spoken, but it also means a word that has been spoken, which naturally increases knowledge. It it, it teaches us, it gives us something that we didn't have. 
So it's not a wasted word. It's not a periphery word that is a transitionary word. It's it's a, a word with substance. And interesting enough, I didn't know this, but one time I was watching an episode of uh, Seinfeld, not for intellectual gain, let me tell you, but merely to pass some time. And as I was watching this episode, I remember that they were making fun of this phrase, yada, 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 right? You probably have heard that before, oh, yada, yada, whatever. And what that is, that is a play on this word from the Old Testament, yada, which means a word with significance. But when you say yada, 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 you're basically saying word with no significance. So it's a play on that. And so a lot of what we can do, this is, well, this is what I believe God wants me to tell you. When it comes to hearing this knowledge and possessing this knowledge, there is a very fine line between word with significance and word with irrelevance. And so it's very critical for us to know which side we're on here. When we hear things and we say, I know this, do you know something of substance or do you know what something that something somebody else has passed on to you? Because we know a lot of stuff and we pride ourselves in what we know and don't know. We're well-educated people, a lot of us. We're intellectual people. We have an ability to learn things on our own accord. We have a passion to listen to people who are more intelligent than us so that we can absorb some of their wisdom. And so then we come to the Lord and we say, oh, we know this. We know who Jesus is. We know who God is because we heard it from my sociology teacher back in primary school. And that's stupid, but, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, or I heard about it from my PE teacher because he says GD all the time. So naturally, I know who God is, right? And so it's just weird the way we obtain knowledge and then the way we weighty, uh, emphasize it so that it's weightier than stuff that comes from other sources. And so what I'm trying to say is, is, is the knowledge that we get from the Lord, the word that he speaks into us, is weightier than anything you will ever hear in this world. It's weightier than anything you'll ever obtain from any school of learning. It is more significant and more relevant. This is the type of knowledge I want. I don't want to know um, what you guys know about baseball or about tractors or about uh, electrical repair. I don't want to know that stuff. Uh, when I was in my, my church in Owensboro, Kentucky as a youth pastor, I remember uh, I was doing a funeral for a teenager that had died, and the uh, the attorney general of the state of Kentucky was there. He was married to um, uh, to Miss America at that time. They were both there, and I'm like standing there shaking my hand, you know, because I, I spoke in the service, so I was somebody special, obviously. But anyway, I remember talking to, to Larry, who was, uh, he was a vice president of the junior college and his wife's an attorney. And, and I remember saying to him, I can't remember if we even have an attorney general in Missouri because that politics was not important to me. And he says, well, isn't it so and so? And I said, oh yeah, I guess we do have one. And he just looked at me like I was the most stupid man on the face of the earth. And I felt like saying to him, but do you know John 3 16? Because that's what I care about. That's why this passage from Philippians 3.10 is so important. I want to know Christ. 
I don't want to know politics. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sharing and the sufferings becoming like him in death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead, I want to know Christ and be sick and be content with that. You see, this knowledge word is important. Yada in the Old Testament becomes Gnosko in the New Testament. Gnosko and both of them together imply something that's very significant. To know somebody in the biblical context means to have intimacy with that individual. Or if you say, I know a particular topic or a particular program, whatever it may be, it means that I am intimately involved with this program or this ministry or this individual. So when I say I want to know Christ, yes, I know who Christ is. He died on the cross for my sins. He's in the Bible. He's the son of God. That's not what I'm saying. I want to be intimate with Christ. I want to know everything about him. I want to know what makes him tick. I want to know what he thinks about me and thinks about you. I want to know what he wants me to do to help alleviate the suffering in this world. I want to know Christ and be intimate with him. This doesn't come easy. This comes from effort. It comes from wanting, selecting a person and saying, I want to invest myself in this person. When I met Paige, it was not about, oh, yeah, I know, I know Paige. She's a pretty girl, lives in Lexington, studying to be a nurse. You know, that's good stuff. I know Paige. But this is what I was thinking about this morning at the wee hours. If my neighbor were to commit murder and the police were to come to me, they would say, hey, do you know Bob Smith or whoever it may be? And I'd say, yeah, I, I think I know Bob. And they'd say, how well do you know Bob? Might be an accomplice, right? And I said, oh, he murdered somebody. Oh, well, I just know his name. I don't really know him. We've never had coffee. We've never talked. We don't, we don't swap phone numbers or anything like that. I really don't know him. I just know of him. You know, when, when we're being questioned about stuff like that, we have a way of really explaining the depth of that relationship. And I'm just curious, how well do you know Christ? Think about this. Now, when he was arrested and killed on the cross, that's what they were doing to the disciples. They were persecuting them. They went, they were pursuing them and they wanted to know, how do you know this man? How much were, how close were you to him? How deeply did you know him? Are you one of him? I want to be one of those types of disciples, a student who says, yes, I not only know Christ, but I was intimate with him. I loved him as a friend, and he loved me as a friend. And I am not ashamed of him or his name, and I will go and shout it from the mountaintops that I know Jesus, and he is in me, and we are very, very close. In John seventeen three, it says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. If you want eternal life, this is how you get it. From knowing who God is, not in a passive sense, but in an intimate sense, that you study him, you seek him, you you clothe yourself in him, and you are absorbed by him. And as a byproduct of that, you feel the same way towards Jesus, his son that came and died on the cross for us, that you want to not only just know who he is and say, I'm a Christian, a believer, but to be intimate with him, that you know everything about him. 
doesn't he deserve to have that kind of relationship with us? I mean, he did die for us, right? Shouldn't you want to know him more than just his name? And, 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 and ask yourself, why would he do this for me? Why would he go to the cross and take this punishment for me? Why would he do this? And when you start answering those questions and start seeking those answers, you're going to find a death in this man that's going to blow you away and it's going to rip your heart apart and it's going to make you want to know him deeper. You're going to think to yourself on a, on a Sunday morning, okay, I could go out on the river, I got a nice boat, or I could go play golf today, or I could go to church. Yeah, but the pressure's long-winded, the music is not the songs I like. The boat is needs to be used, otherwise it's a waste. No, this is Jesus, the one we're intimate with, the one who's here waiting for us to get here so that he can wrap his arms around us and say, welcome, child, welcome, my friend. That is eternal life, to know him intimately. Here's the thing. A lot of people will say, well, I know God. I, I, I believe in God. Well, James makes it very clear. So do the demons. They know who Jesus is. They know he's the son of the living God, and they are afraid of him. James says they tremble by the name of Christ. We don't even tremble anymore. We say Jesus this, Jesus Christ. This is some kind of a curse word. But we don't really know him. In 2 Peter 3.18, it says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. So the implication by 2 Peter is this. We can increase in our knowledge of him. In other words, regardless of how smart we are or how much time we have allotted to this task, we can dig all day long, every day of our lives, and we will never continue or we'll never be content. We'll never come to the place where we can say, okay, I'm done. You know, like the internet commercial where the guy sits back and he's like, I just did it. I searched every website on the internet. I'm done with it. He just completed it, right? And you're like, whatever. It's the same thing with Jesus. Do you really think you're ever going to get to the end? No, because then you're going to be right back to the beginning thinking, I know so little. I want to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In 1 John 3, 6, it says, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And now I have a problem on my hands. I still sin. I, I, I still fall on my face, and I choose flesh over heart. I choose myself over Christ. I choose my own needs over the needs of you. And is that true that by implication that means I don't know him? What it means by implication is that I have taken a step back from him. Because if you look at it this way, we're, 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 we're moving forward in our devotion to him and our understanding, our seeking of him, we're, we're, our mo, our, What's the word? Our momentum is carrying us forward. But the moment we say, no, today I'm going to do something for me, we not only stop the process, but we start backing it up. Because now we're headed a different direction. So now we're declining. This thing always pops off my belt. I know if I lose more weight, that wouldn't happen. That's a different sermon. Gluttony, you will not hear me talk about very often. Because I know I possess it. Oh, there you go, right there, gluttony. 
But that's the problem is, is that we can stop this process by our own personal desires, by our own sinning, our own flesh can get in the way and reduce our knowledge of Christ. We can reduce so much to the point that we don't even think about him anymore. That his word is a foreign vocabulary term in our minds. We can even go to church almost every week and still think to ourselves, I really am not increasing in my knowledge of Christ because I really don't care. I'm just trying to get everybody convinced I'm a good person as I check that box. So the question is, how do we get to know him? Well, the obvious, the obvious way is prayer. When we pray, we seek him. When we pray, we, we ask. Hopefully, you spend time in prayer saying, Lord, come to me. Talk to me. Teach me. Show me what the scriptures mean. How to apply it to my life. Infiltrate me and change me. Forgive my sin, but change the way I think. Transform me in my mind is what Romans 12, 2 says. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, other than prayer, this is another really good one. It goes right along with prayer perfectly. It says that in the beginning was the Word, capital W, that means Logos, which I'll tell you in a minute. And then the Word, capital W, Logos, was with God, and the Logos was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Logos is a Greek word that implies Jesus. He is the Word of life. His name alone makes the demons shake and makes hell quake and makes believers sing louder with more joy and more excitement. This name of Jesus is huge, but he existed with the Father even in the beginning. This was his word. This whole book is his word. It's his testimony of who he is. And so you cannot say to me or any other pastor who, who knows this, any elder or deacon who knows this, you cannot tell us, I don't read the Bible, but I know Jesus quite well. I don't read the Bible, but I, I still am intimate with him. No, that's nonsense. That'd be like me saying, I love Paige, and I'm increasing in my love with Paige, even though I'm never at home, I actually sleep in a different place, and I never speak to her on the phone. Every once in a while, I'll go by work and give her a Coke Zero and say, hey, hope you're doing well. See you later. And I'm out the door again. That is not an intimate relationship. That is not a growing relationship. I have very little knowledge of her if I'm not constantly digging into her heart and her head trying to figure out what's going on in there. And I'm going to keep digging. But you know what's funny is every time I dig it a little bit deeper, I like it even more. This is the way it's supposed to work, right? You don't dig a little bit and say, oops, made a mistake. No, no, you keep digging and digging because you like what you keep finding and it just keeps overwhelming you. <laughs> Page two. In Hebrews 4, verse 12, this is a great passage. For the word of God, the word, the logos of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, for it penetrates even to dividing the soul from the spirit, joints from the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. 
The word of God is living and active. When we read this book, it actually has a breath in it. The breath of God is in these pages. And when we read these words, that breath comes into us. And, And after absorbing this long enough, then when we start speaking, we start breathing into the lives of other people. That's why on Sunday mornings, a lot of times I will pray before we start. Lord, breathe life into these pages that will breathe life into me, that I may breathe life into you, all for his glory and his purposes. But this is a living book. It has a way of transforming your life. I have heard countless people who have given testimony. I think it was Martin Luther that said Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is what brought him to the place. He was already a priest, but brought to the place of salvation. Because of that passage of scripture and the conviction of the Holy Spirit in him. The same was true of John Wesley when he went up to the altar's gate and had his experience. Uh, I can't remember which passage he was studying. Maybe he was Ephesians too. I don't know. But it was through the scriptures and the meditating on scriptures that brought them to salvation. That is powerful stuff. Why would you not want to read this book? Why would you not want to study it? In 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, a passage we talk about a lot around here, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. As a side note, I will interject that nowhere have I ever seen in the scriptures that you ever outgrow or outmature the need to study scripture. Just like the internet, just like Jesus himself, you can dig and dig all day long, every day of your life, and you will never fully understand everything in this book because that would make you God. But as it is, we need God's help because it's overwhelming. It's so confusing. And God is up to the task. He tells us we should pray before we read. And then we should pray after we read. That he will just continue to stir us with the words on these pages that they will give us life. In Psalm 119, 105, this is really cool stuff. Well, it may not be to you. We just sang it. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. We read that, we hear about it, it goes right over our heads, right? I mean, we kind of think, okay, metaphorically, I know what it's talking about. Let me tell you what it's talking about literally. In in Old uh, Old Testament, Jesus' times, uh, communities would build their walls of protection around their cities, and they would have uh, guards that were protecting them, right? Well, if you're under siege, you need a water source because you can't go outside the city walls to get water. And if you, and if you did have a river that went through, they would contaminate it. So you had to have a secret water source. So what they would do is they would dig these really deep wells, sometimes as much as 20 feet across, and they would have a winding staircase that went all the way down to the bottom. And then the women would put their jugs on their heads and they would go down that winding path all the way to the bottom and they would fill their jugs. And then they would go back up those winding stairs. Now, what do you do if it's nighttime? Do you carry a torch? No. They actually had these little ceramic or or pottery type uh, candles filled with oil with a little bit of wick and they would tie it to the tops of their feet. So it would light their path as they went down those winding stairs at night. 
and then it would, it would lead them on the way back up. If you don't believe me, come to Israel with me in February. I'll show it to you. All right? That's a ploy. Anyway, um, but this is the way it is. You had to have a light on your feet or you would fall down those stairs. Now, these are deep, 50, 60, 70 feet. You would kill yourself if you missed, took a step, misstepped. Crazy stuff. But the question is this. Do you put the word of God on your feet to guide your footsteps? Before you make a decision about employment, do you read the Bible? Do you pray about it? Before you marry, before you date somebody, do you read the scriptures and pray about it and say, Lord, is this right or, or wrong? I know the answer. I know the answer. We see it all the time. Pastor, I need help. I've messed things up again. Pastor, I need, I, I'm the pastor. I need help because I messed up again. We don't. We don't read the scriptures. We don't ask Jesus for guidance. We don't ask him for help in making decisions because the flesh is too strong in us. And so we get ourselves into problems. In Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34, this is the last verse before we get into the real context of the scripture. But we'll do that quickly. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I, excuse me, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. All will know me. How deeply they know him is yet to be determined. So when we go to this passage in 1 Corinthians, oh, I forgot I didn't have a, a Noah read that passage. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 through 25, I won't read it all. I just want to get you into the, the context of it. This is how this all comes to be within us today. In verse 18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligence I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God... The world through its wisdom did not know him. We have a lot of wise people, intelligent people, knowledgeable people. In the word yada, they all mean the same. Intelligent, wise, knowing. There are no difference. In the New Testament, we get Sophia, which is wisdom. It implies not, I mean, it basically implies you can have a lot of knowledge and still be clueless. You can, you can know a lot of things and still be an airhead. Right, So you can have wisdom separate from knowledge, wisdom that's not necessarily based on knowledge, but you can still be able to, to decipher and discern things that are beyond your scope. But what it's talking about is people in this world who are so wise, so intelligent, they know everything, so don't even try talking to them. It's like casting pearls before swine, as the good book says. It's easy for you to say. But there's so many smart people, but they don't know who Jesus really is. 
They just know what they want to believe, what they've heard, what they have chosen to accept. That is not how you come to salvation. That is not how you come to a place of intimacy. If I would have asked a bunch of people who knew Paige what they thought of Paige and then determined my my knowledge of her based on that, I never would have probably married her. It's in my personal delving into her heart that attracted me to want more. The same is true with Christ. It was what he has done in me, what he's done for me, what he's done through me for the sake of others that makes me want to know more about him, that wants me to serve him more intently. And I would hope that that is the same thing that attracts you to Christ. That is what you want of him. You want to be so intimate with you, with him, that he knows every thought, every feeling, every struggle and every ounce of knowledge that you possess. I don't know about you, but that's the Christ I want to know. Now, this is what God wants me to say in closing. Years ago, I went to a leadership conference, and at that conference, uh, the speaker said, ask the question, are you leaders? And, of course, nobody responded. We didn't know what he was looking for, but then he, said, he clarified he said, what you need to do to, to understand if you're a leader or not is turn around and look behind you. If there's nobody there, you're probably not a leader. But if there's somebody behind you following you, then God has given you that gift. It doesn't matter if it's one or 10,000. A leader is a leader. God's called me to lead. I don't know who's following me. Uh, but this is what I'm, this is where I'm headed. And if you want to follow me and, and to go there also, you're more than, more than welcome, more than invited. I want to know Christ more. I want to understand and to know the power of the resurrection. I want to serve him better. I want to understand my calling deeper. I want to be equipped more significantly. So that I can do things that other pastors can't. Not for my own gain, but for the purpose of Christ. So that he can be glorified. I want to understand more. I want to know as much as I can possibly know. I want to know as much about the church as I can know. So that I can help it, prune it to where it can produce more. I want to be able to counsel better. I want to know more about what is going on in your heads and in your hearts. So that I can assist you to know Christ better. That's where I'm headed. I'm going to go to heaven one day when I die. Hopefully it won't be today. But when I do, I'm okay with that because I know where I'm going to be. But my question, my concern is I don't know where you're going to be because I don't know if you've been following or not. And if you're not following me, you're probably following somebody else. And I can't, I can't uh, verify if that's a significant leadership move or not. But if you want to follow me, that's where I'm going. And again, you're more than welcome to come. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will continue to convict us of our shortcomings and our complacency, our flesh. Our flesh which constantly gets in the way and and diverts our attention from you. Father, forgive us, for we have sinned. We haven't always loved you with our hearts. We haven't always sought you with with our whole intent. You have not been our motivator in life. 
We repent of this, Lord, and pray that you will renew us in our minds and transform us in our thinking, that you will help us to start today on a new path, a path that not only leads to righteousness, but a deeper understanding and an intimacy with you. Father, help us to find what we're looking for in Christ. I pray that you'll be patient. I pray that you will be uh, forgiving. And I pray that you will bless every right move that we make so that we'll end up in the right place at the right time and for the right purpose. In Christ we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing.